If you have your Bible this morning, thank you. Uh, Abby, thank you. Um, if you've got your Bible this morning, if you can turn to Psalm 1. Uh, don't worry, if you haven't got your Bible, the words will come up on the screen behind me. This feels a bit tall for me, so I'm going to lower that down a bit. Yeah, I'm the shorter uh, elder, but don't worry, God sees the heart. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, really. I was just, uh, yeah, and their hearts are good too. Um, The Psalms are a collection of songs. There's 150 of them. And they're songs for all seasons. They help us to get a heart posture of worship and wonder towards God. And they teach us to live wisely and to weather the seasons of life well. They're really important. Um, They've been described by some as a poetical retelling of the whole story of God's kingdom. And so as we enter the Psalms to meet with God, we can hear the entire biblical story being sung back to us. During summer, we like to just dip in to some of the Psalms. So today we're looking at Psalm 1 in the beginning. Uh, It's good. It's good. Um, Psalm 1 is somewhat of a gateway to the whole book of Psalms. It's really important. And again, that's why I think uh, we decided I'd preach on this one. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, you said it. Um, it's a gateway into the whole book of Psalms. And for some, it's a kind of summary, a, a summarizing psalm of all the psalms. There's language in it that is kind of reminiscence of the beginning of history, Garden of Eden. There's a tree that's full of life, that brings life to others because it's planted by a stream of God's life. And, and then there's language that's echoed in Revelations, the end of history, where it talks about judgment, and it talks about how the righteous will be received and known by God, and the wicked will be those who perish. So the principles in this psalm are absolutely crucial for the whole of the book of Psalms, and and some would say for the whole of the Bible. It's fundamental. And it describes essentially two ways to be human. There's the way of the righteous, and there's the way of the wicked. Um, in, In looking at this psalm over the last few weeks, the, the poetical metaphor of a tree planted by a stream that yields its fruit in season, that never withers, is, is stunning. Um, I won't do it justice, but that's true of any part of the word of God. You can mine it and mine it and mine it, and you never get to the end. But it's a song of hope. It speaks of a righteous man who is this tree, this tree full of life, eternally green. Let's read together, um, and then, then we'll crack on and, and dig in. Um, I just feel really blessed today, just to say, from the songs we've sung, from the testimony we've heard, from words we've received, um, the Spirit of God really is amongst us. I really, I'm holding on here, because... I feel a weight, a wonder. Um, 
feel like I'm sat in the presence of God. I'm sat in the lap of God. Um, And I pray that every man, woman and child that leaves here this morning feels that too before they leave. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The title of the sermon today is Blessed. Blessed. Say blessed. 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 You might say, blessed, blessed. This word is ashrah. It means means to be joyful and fulfilled, to be truly happy. So the psalmist is essentially saying, happy is the man who. Yeah? Um, It's it's a way of describing the evidence of, of God's abundance and God's grace upon somebody of how good it is and how desirable it is to receive the blessings of God. Look, there he goes. He's really happy. He's truly happy. He is blessed by God. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's pointing us to look at this righteous one and say, that's what it looks like. So here you go. For the cynical, happiness is possible. (laughs) Happiness is possible. That's the first obvious. Now, you might not think, wow, we. Okay, but we we live in an age, we have done for hundreds of years now, but we live in an age of empirical investigation, scientific uh, evidence, and technological advance. There's data, lots and lots of data, not my thing. But there's the... The data for happiness, the Office of National Statistics releases, publishes data that says where places are happy and where places are not so happy. As it turns out, Colchester last year, according to the ONS, was the least happy place to live in Essex. I mean, I think they should have come here and, and, uh, you know, I think they, they might have sampled a bit of the joy of the Lord and changed their mind. But there we go. Depression, though. We've prayed about it this morning. We've prayed for deliverance for people from depression, but that's on the increase. There's all kinds of new diagnoses for every kind of neuroses. Psychology, sociology, technology. All of these are good things. Social activism. You know, they, they may begin to address some inequalities, some injustices in the world, but the Bible says... The, the true issue of human happiness isn't with any of those things. It's not with any of them. The Bible says the blessed man, the happy one, is 
like a tree planted, planted by a stream. It doesn't wither. If, if a tree's planted by a stream, it can weather drought and it won't dry out. It can weather. It can weather tough stuff in life. I just want to say from the outset, for anyone who's not a believer, or if you're a new believer maybe, Christianity is not come and see and taste and see how easy life can be. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. And for sure, if you follow Jesus, you'll have all kinds of trouble that you would not have had if you didn't follow him. I'll just wait a moment to see if anyone wants to leave now. Um, It's like, way to go for selling Christianity, Tom. But it's true. You know, some of you will have sung, blessed be the name of the Lord. Or maybe you didn't, because right now it hurts too much. And that's okay. God knows. But ultimately, for the believer, that is the cry. Blessed be your name. The happiness of a Christian is not a joviality. It's not like, oh, Tom, he's always such a happy guy. You know, always laughing, always joyful. It's not that. Jesus himself was a man of sorrows. I can tell you now. In the 20-odd years that I've been a believer, I've cried way more than I ever did before. Way more. Over my sin, over the sin of others, over God's goodness to me. It's staggering. But I've known a joy that's way deeper than anything I've known before, than anything the world can offer me. The truth is there are, you know, notice in this psalm, yeah, the, the tree that's planted by streams, it yields its fruit in season. There's seasons. It goes through seasons. There's, there's seasons where there's not fruit in your life, where there's autumn and winter. Winter's hard, cold. Wind blows strong. But those times are designed so that we drive our roots down deeper into God, deeper into his word, deeper into the stream, as it were. I was massively encouraged this week when I I got a text message from a brother, um, and he'd been really sick, really poorly, laid up in bed for two weeks, wiped out. And he he said, I've just been needing one word from God, one word. I I need, you know, and he found himself at three o'clock in the morning praying, Lord, would you lead me by still waters? <laughs> it's like it's a cunning plan. That's in the Psalms, isn't it? Yes, it is. Lead me by still waters. And God answered that prayer in a beautiful way. A beautiful way. He wasn't healed then and there, but he was comforted. He was healed a couple of days later. He was he- You know, I just so encouraged a brother sharing a testimony of how in hardship, in suffering, his desire was actually to root himself in the word of God, to meditate on the word of God as best as he could. Someone says, a truly happy person is happy because he knows a joy and fulfillment that runs deeper than his circumstances, because he's rooted in something other than himself, and because he knows where he belongs. (laughs) 
Do you know where you belong? I want to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. And it's this. It's really profound. Am I truly happy? Am I truly happy? Fundamentally and consistently happy, come what may. My sister, Bethel, she she spoke about that this morning. Even in sorrow, they knew a joy. There's a wonderful song by Stevie Wonder. Joy inside my tears. You've done what no one could do. You've brought joy inside my tears. I don't know if he meant it this way, but I hear that and think, oh, look, there's a believer who, who, and I don't know that of Stevie Wonder, but this is how I hear that song and sing that song. When I'm tearful, when I'm in sorrow, when I'm in hardship, when the winters come, I still have a joy, even in those tears. Because I'm rooted in something other than even me and my happiness. I'm rooted somewhere. I've been planted. Am I truly happy? And if you're not, ask yourself, why not? Your answer to that question depends not really on your circumstances, but on your choices. Not on what rains down from you above, but where you're rooted, where you've been planted, where you sit. Whenever the Bible says, blessed is, yeah, it never, or happy in this case, this, this word, um, happy are those who are happy. It never says, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, just to prompt the projector, um, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst to be happy. He doesn't say that. Happiness is, is, is more a byproduct or more of a supplementary to something else. Jesus says that ultimately, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they are happy because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They get, hung, they get happiness thrown in. If you pursue your own happiness as the, as the, the fundamental must-have, non-negotiable, guess what? The paradox is you'll never get it. If you want that perfect husband, that perfect wife, if you want that amazing career, if you want that stunning house that everyone's like, oh, I'm so jealous of that. If you want incredible holidays, if you want a life of fun, joy, and ease, if you want to be happy, the Bible says if that's your primary focus, it'll always elude you. Always elude you. If you aim for righteousness, you will be satisfied and you will be happy. The human heart is hardwired. It's hardwired to pursue happiness. Okay? I totally agree with John Piper in his book, Desiring God. He, he talks about Christian hedonism. and That might not be a useful phrase for some, but I agree with him when he says that the longing to be happy is universal and good. 
and that we should seek to nourish and intensify this longing to be happy with what provides the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. Any of you a bit nervous yet? I should, I, happiness, my happiness is good and I should pursue it and I should intensify my desire to be happy. The trouble is the human heart is deceitful above all else. The unregenerate heart. We, we won't naturally choose what provides deepest and most lasting satisfaction. We won't. That's the paradox here. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's only God in whom we find our deepest and most enduring happiness. Desire him and you will be satisfied. You will be. (laughs) Happy is the one who desires God. He, she will be happy. I just, that's not in scripture, by the way. That's just me. Um, The picture I had when I thought of this righteous one who meditates on the word of God day and night was a cow chewing the cud. Very deep and spiritual. Uh, I knew Ben would appreciate that. Um, It says in verse 2 that the The blessed one, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. So cows, I'm sure you know this, but they will chew some grass. They will swallow it. They will digest it. They will regurgitate it. They will chew it some more because they're wanting to get as much nourishment out of the grass as they possibly can. Likewise, the happy man, he reads God's word, he speaks it to himself, he mumbles it to himself, he ponders it in his mind again and again and again because he wants every bit of nourishment for his soul that he can get out of it. He chews the cud. I feel feel sort of connected to a Jewish culture there. I don't know if it is a Jewish term, but it sounds like it might be. But he chews the cud. When I was a boy, uh, I do remember it, um, and I think I might have seen it in my boy um, when he was younger. When I was a young boy, if I ate something that I really, really enjoyed, I would hum to myself. Mm-hmm. Oblivious. I was just enjoying it. And I think that's the picture here. As, as the blessed man is meditating the word of God to himself, it's, it's resounding to his soul as he remunerates or regurgitates it to himself. It's like he's being like a tree. He's putting his roots deeper down in streams of water. When you do that, you start to appreciate that all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for many things, for, for correcting, for reproofing, for teaching, for leading us in righteousness and ultimately leading us to Jesus Christ for salvation. It equips us for good works, good works that God, your Father, planned in advance for you to do. <laughs> it's stunning. Are you meditating on God's word? Like that. Do you read his word day and night? Day and night.
day and night. What? Yeah, the, the, the psalmist is talking about somebody who meditates, who chews the cud day and night. It's not even just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the midnight feast as well. Full on. I'm not giving children permission to have midnight feasts, unless it's with scripture. I don't believe your mum and dad would tell you off if they caught you in the middle of the night with a torch reading scripture. But that's the picture. Morning, noon, and night. Are you delighting in the Bible in that way? Or are there other things that you prefer to meditate on? Other stuff that we fill our minds with, that we speak over ourselves. In verse 1, it says, Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, we have to start with the negative before we go into he's like a tree planted. And what it's saying here, what the psalmist is saying, what scripture is saying here is that this one who's like a tree planted by streams, he's not ascend he's not having a mind that's worldly. He doesn't think like the world does. He's not going to be influenced by the way the world sees things. He's not going to take counsel or get advice or wisdom from what the world says. His counsel is in the word of God, ultimately, and with brothers and sisters of God. He doesn't stand with sinners. He doesn't, um, he doesn't identify with sinners as being one of them. He doesn't live like they live. And then it says he doesn't sit with scoffers. Now, in the ancient cultures, and still some cultures now, sitting is about where you belong. I can't squat any deeper than that without having a, a moment. Where you sit, if you sit in a chair, you're all sat in a chair, okay? It takes your weight, it has you, it's got you. Whatever you sit in has you. And this culture is saying, you know, wherever you sit, that's where you belong. So the blessed man doesn't, he knows where he belongs. He belongs with the congregation of the righteous, not with the wicked. Now, if you're like me, you might be tempted to think, or maybe you're not like me, and you might think, Tom, I think we're heading to a holy huddle here. This is, you know, you're saying we shouldn't have a... The righteous man is separated from the wicked. He is separated. But it's not to say that he has nothing at all to do with the ungodly. Jesus himself, right, he, he very famously would freely invite himself into some very shady, culturally shady situations and parties, hang out and mix with blatantly ungodly people. So much so that, that those who had the appearance of godliness would be like, ah, oh, there he is, friend of sinners. That's him. He could take it, he was all right. The point is, Jesus testified to sin, to righteousness and judgment. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your calling. Not to separate ourselves from the world and people in it, but actually to witness of Jesus. We've been doing that this morning in our sung worship and in sharing pain 
real, serious suffering. But Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus. Where are you sitting? I don't mean in this room. What has you? Are there things in your life that you need to turn from? Or things that maybe you used to belong to before you, you were added to his kingdom, before Jesus said, you're mine. If you want to be truly happy, you need to know where you're sitting. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he describes a few of the things that he and his companions have been through. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. (laughs) That's full on. That is full on. But you see... Paul's point here is that for any Christian, really, like a tree that's planted by streams, there's a joy that runs deeper than what happens to us. There's a joy that runs deeper. So you're not crushed when afflictions come. You are not driven to despair when things do not work as you hoped. You're not destroyed when you are wounded for the Lord. Can I ask you this? When things don't go as you hoped, are you crushed? I mean, we've heard this morning of what Bethel and Fanny went through. And it's a wonderful testimony of God's grace and faithfulness and healing and who knows Thank you, and well done. Thank you, Lord. Many of you are going through tough stuff, even now. Some of you have been going through hardship for years. When tragedy strikes, do you despair? I mean, more than perplexed. Perplexed is, why? Why, O oh Lord? Why have you forsaken me? But you know, really, you're not forsaken. That was the cry of Jesus. He was forsaken, so you and I don't need to be. There's, you can be perplexed. In this life, there is mystery. Stuff happens, you know, and we sometimes don't know. Sometimes it is. Well, I, I went my own way. I sinned, and there's consequences. Hallelujah for forgiveness and redemption. But sometimes there are consequences, but... Sometimes stuff just happens and we don't know why. When tragedy like that strikes, are you despairing? Because if you're despairing, then I'd say you're sat in something other than the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You're not sat on the lap of God, as it were. And do you delight in the message of the Bible? Or are you delighting in something else? Because that's ultimately where we find our delight. That will either hold us up, it will either bear our weight or it won't. And it's only Jesus who does. 